And welcome to this week's edition of Worcester's Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of Worcester News and recorded on Thursday, 1st of November 2018, here in Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor, and with me to read the news articles are Paddy Fellows, Hugh Thomas, Moira Lowe. Our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. A warm welcome to new listeners, and I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays and obituaries, on this day and thought for the week. By the way, do let us know your birthday so that we can greet you specially when that time comes. This service is free to users. But if you wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR 51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone 01905 767 766 or add a note to your wallet. If there are any, any problems in your receiving this service, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given to leave a message to that effect. The headlines for the week beginning October the 26th are October the 26th, police dog Ivy roasted to death. October the 27th, county council job shock. Assault Monday, October the 29th, assault victim told to go back to work. October the 30th, two dead in house fire. October the 31st, house blaze victims named. And November the 1st, body found in river. So I'll now ask each of our readers to introduce themselves as they read the headline articles. The first one is mine and it's police dog Ivy roasted to death. A police dog who was at the centre of a retirement row last year died of heat stroke at a training exercise. A review has found a factor in police dog Ivy's death was a faulty fan that led to hot air being drawn into the police vehicle she was in and she was overexerted in the days before her death. Recommendations have now been made after the review examined the force's handling of police dogs following the five-year-old dog's death. Thousands signed a petition urging the force to let police dog Ivy go into retirement a long time aside her handler, Sergeant David Evans, last year. An online petition was signed by more than 130,000 people after it was set up by Sergeant Evans' daughter Jenny to keep the pair together, but the force refused. West Mid Mercia Police said it accepted Ivy should not have died as a result of heat stroke and called it a harsh lesson. She died at a firearms training exercise in Worcester on a hot day in July. Despite efforts to save her life, she had to be put to sleep at the vets after being rushed there under blue lights. 
To establish the cause of her death, a post-mortem was conducted and West Mercia police appointed an independent police force, Staffordshire Police, to investigate. The investigation found Ivy died as a result of disseminated intravascular coagulation brought on by heat stroke. Police say while a handler was attending the training session, Ivy remained within the climate control pod in the back of a vehicle with the engine left running to allow the air conditioning to work. But Staffordshire Police's report found one of the factors that might have contributed to Ivy's death was the failure of the roof fan extraction system. The report said on examination the fan moved in only one direction and this was to intake air into the pods. The fact that the vehicle would have been in direct sunlight for the duration of the morning, the body of the vehicle is most likely to have been at a temperature significantly in excess of the ambient air temperature, the review said. Air drawn into the vehicle will have been very hot. The force says within 48 hours of her death, the fan on every dog section vehicle in the fleet was inspected and found to be functioning correctly. Assistant Chief Constable Jeff Wessel from West Mercia Police said, Police dog Ivy's death was a shock to us all. While our police dogs are working dogs and not pets, our handlers have a deep, trusting and loving bond and I know how upset they would all have been as a result of finding Ivy in this state. I know they acted swiftly to try and save her life. We accept she should not have died as a result of heat stroke and we've learned this very harsh lesson in the worst possible way. We've therefore taken on board everything that the review has identified. The review recognised the care of West Mercia police dogs is exceptionally good and handlers and trainers cared passionately about them. But the report identified 17 recommendations, including investing in new technology that can accurately monitor temperature and humidity within vehicles. Dog handlers are also to be given formal training and a qualification in canine first aid. A designated dog welfare officer has now been appointed to conduct regular checks on police dogs at all training events. Police say recommendations will be acted upon and changes were already underway to ensure an incident of this nature never happens again. Assistant Chief Constable Wessel added, as a result of her tragic death, which has highlighted the dangers that hot weather poses on dogs, we recognise that some of our policies and procedures require amending to prevent these circumstances from reoccurring. This is being done as a priority and resulting changes will be communicated to all of our dog handlers. I would like to personally thank Staffordshire Police for their balanced and thorough investigating and for recognising how much we do value and care for our police dogs. The report is being shared nationally with all forces in England and Wales. Sergeant Evans was unavailable for comment. At the time, Chief Constable of West Mercia Police, Anthony Bangham, said... Police dog Ivy is very young and has many years service ahead of her. She will therefore stay with the force and be rehandled with another officer. Hi, I'm Hugh and I'm reading from Saturday's edition of October the 27th. As many as 200 jobs are set to go at the County Council 
as the cash-strapped authority has asked staff if they want to take voluntary redundancy. An email sent out by Chief Executive Paul Robinson told all of the authority's 2,800 staff that they have until November to take up the offer as the council looks to save almost £18 million by March. The council is also offering staff a buy one hour, get one free for additional leave over Christmas and the new year as well as proposing all non-frontline agency staff take a break during December in a bid to save money. Frontline council workers, including children's social workers, have been told they cannot apply for, for voluntary redundancy. A presentation made to staff said the council has already made a start on cuts and savings but needs to find another £5 million by next year. Jim Price, Secretary of Worcestershire's Unison branch, said a lot of staff feel it's a sign of panic by the council. He said the council might be saying that they are saving frontline services, but it means a lot of office staff and a lot of the back office functions will stop. That means areas such as quality control and health and safety will suffer because of that. Whilst the council says it worked with trade unions over the proposals, Mr Price said he was only made aware of the scheme two days before it was announced. Bosses at Worcestershire County Council announced in September that the entire shape and size of the authority will be under review as it struggles to cope with the ever-increasing cost of social care. The Council has an annual net budget of more than £324 million, of which more than two-thirds is spent on safeguarding children and protecting vulnerable adults. The Council has also blamed government cuts to funding for the predicted overspend. A 90-day consultation into the all of the county's libraries has already been launched after plans were approved by Cabinet last week. The Council says it needs to save a million pounds from the library budget and will look at shortening opening hours, sharing buildings and making libraries self-service. The Council also plans to save money by closing four of its children's residential care homes. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, We have announced a voluntary redundancy scheme <coughs> to help us to address a projected in-year overspend of £5 million. The scheme will operate on the basis of staff having an opportunity to apply for voluntary redundancy. A number of roles are exempt, including children's social workers. It is expected that up to 200 full-time equivalent staff will leave the council as part of the scheme, which we have discussed with our recognised trade unions. The council has promoted its current annual leave purchase scheme with a particular emphasis on the Christmas and New Year period. 
to encourage staff and as a flexible benefit, we're offering a buy one hour, get one free. This will provide a saving to the council, but the amount is not known at this stage. The council is to propose a break for all agency staff, except Frontline, over Christmas and New Year. The details of these proposals, including the number of days break, are currently being developed. Staff who apply for voluntary redundancy will leave before the end of March next year. Hello, I'm Moira, and my headlines from Monday, October the 29th. Assault victim told to go back to work. A victim of assault who suffers with chronic pain and fatigue is distraught that his benefits have stopped. Andrew Clark from Worcester says he is often in agony due to nerve damage in his back and neck and a brain injury which he says he acquired during a serious assault in 2016. I was left with life-changing injuries. Doctors have said part of my brain has moved, he said. Mr Clark, aged 35, said pain in his limbs can be extremely painful. I've been through stages where I've been suicidal, he added. Mr Clark has been unable to work since the assault and has been receiving employment and support allowance and personal independence payment. He was recently told both payments have stopped. A member of staff from the Department of Work and Pensions told the Worcester News it has stopped Mr Clark's ESA payment benefits for people deemed medically unfit for work because after an assessment process, including a medical assessment, it is determined that he's fit for work. Mr Clark feels the decision is unfair and that him returning to work would not be safe. It would be a health and safety hazard. If I go out and do a job, I could have a blackout. How am I meant to get a job when I have got dizziness? When I get fatigue, I get memory loss. Who will employ me? I have a whole list of symptoms. Mr Clark said he is often disorientated with regular dizzy spells. My concentration isn't right. I would describe it as feeling like I've fallen off a cliff. The personal independence payment is a benefit for people with disabilities who need services or equipment that require extra funds. The Department for Work and Pensions said that they do not believe Mr Clark requires this, so has stopped his payments also. A DWP spokesman said, We're committed to ensuring that people with health conditions get the support they're entitled to. Decisions for PIP and ESA are made following consideration of all the information provided by the claimant, including supporting evidence from their GP or medical specialist. Anyone who is unhappy with the decision has the right to a mandatory reconsideration and can further take their case to a free independent tribunal. Now his benefits have stopped, Mr Clark, who says he struggles with walking, eating and many everyday tasks, currently has no income. The people who are meant to be caring for me, these benefits people, are putting so much more pressure on me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right, Paddy Fellow is now about to read the tragic story of the house fire at, uh, on the A44 between Cotheridge and Broadwas, <clears throat> in which two people died. A 21-year-old man and an 18-year-old woman have died in a house fire. The pair were found inside a house on the A44 between Cotheridge and Broadworth near Worcester, but nothing could be done to save them. Despite 30 firefighters and officers being sent to fight the fire, 
Paramedics from a passing ambulance initially spotted the fire and stopped to help while the firefighters and police officers rushed to the house fire at around 8pm on Sunday evening. West Mercy Police said officers attended to assist with closing the road to enable firefighters to deal with the incident. Sadly, a 21-year-old male and an 18-year-old female have been found inside the inside deceased. Next to kin have been informed formal identification has not yet taken place. This was uh, Tuesday's paper. The fire service was called out at 7.40pm, no, 7.49pm, sorry, and spent... Seven fire, sent seven fire engines and around 30 firefighters and officers to the home, which is not visible from the main road, but is opposite Hilltop Farm, Cotheridge. A statement from West Midlands Ambulance Service said West Midlands Ambulance Service was called shortly after 8pm last night, that was Sunday, one ambulance two paramedic officers and the Trust's officers, whoops, the Trust's hazard area response team, paramedics attended the scene alongside the fire service and the police. A passing ambulance which came across the fire was the first vehicle on the scene and stopped to render aid until other resources arrived. Ambulance crews provided support to the fire service while they worked to put out the fire. Once inside the property, fire colleagues discovered two people inside. Sadly, nothing could be done to save the two occupants and they were confirmed dead on scene. Crews from Worcester, Bromyard, Morven, Droitwich, Ledbury and Lemster were involved in the operation. Chief Superintendent Keith, Kevin Purcell said, we were called to assist the fire service last night at around 8pm. Sadly, two young people had been confirmed as deceased, a 21-year-old man and an 18-year-old woman. Fire investigation officers worked with crews and scenes of crime officers from West Mercia Police throughout Sunday night to make the property safe and establish the cause. Yesterday, two fire engines remained at the scene, damping down the next day, along with police forensic investigators and engineers from Western Power Distribution. Mm. Back to me, Evelyn, mm. and Wednesday, October 31st, and it tells us more mm. about what Paddy has been reading to mm. us a moment ago. House Blaze victims named. Shock as Brit swimmer mm. and boyfriend are killed in fire. Mm. The couple who died in a house fire have been named as Tamsin Pugh and Josh Kirk. Tributes have been paid to them after they died in the fire in Cotheridge on Sunday. Tasman, aged 18, was well known as a swimmer and represented England and Great Britain at youth level. Pershaw Swimming Club tweeted, With enormous shock and sorrow, we've learned, heard today that Tasman Pugh has tragically died on Sunday. There are no words to describe the horror of losing one so young. 
all at the club send their thoughts and prayers to her family and friends at this dreadful time. R.I.P. Tasmin. Miss Pugh was a former pupil at Bowbrook House School, Abbey Park Middle School and Pershaw High School. In 2015, she returned from the 5th Commonwealth Youth Games in Samoa with six medals from eight events. Following that victory, she enrolled in British Swimming's world-class programme on podium potential level. And in December that year, she set a new British junior record in the 100 fly. That year, she was also named Junior Female Sports Person of the Year in the Hereford and, and Worcestershire Sports Award. Chris Allen, head of Brobrook's house, said, Our thoughts are with Tasmin's family and friends and with those of her boyfriend, Josh. This is a shocking tragedy and many staff and former pupils are deeply affected by Tasmin's death. A bright, articulate, extremely talented young lady has been cruelly taken from us. A life full of promise snatched away. She will be remembered for her successes in the swimming pool at Midlands and National ISA competitions. But Tasmin was also a good friend to my own daughter while at Bowbrook as they were in the same year. This has been a shock to us all, both at home and at school. Mm. I remember her as an intelligent and engaging mm. pupil, committed to all aspects of school life, the choir, to all school mm. sports and, of course, to her studies. She stayed mm. in touch with us when she moved on to Ellesmere College on her swimming scholarship and often visited. She'll be sadly missed by many here at Bowbrook House mm. School. Mr Kirk, 21, was a former pupil of Chantry High School in Martley and lived in Worcester. Detective Inspector Mark Roberts said, We are leading a thorough investigation with the support of partners across a number of agencies. Our thoughts remain with their families. I want to reassure members of the local community that no one is being sought in connection with the incident and public safety is not a concern. This is the front page of today's paper, that is Thursday, November the 1st. A body has been found in the River Severn. The emergency services recovered a body from the river near to Key Street in Worcester at about 2.50pm yesterday. Police said the death was being treated as unexplained as the Worcester News went to press. A shocked eyewitness told the Worcester News that there had been boats out on the scene with an ambulance on the path above the river on the Worcestershire cricket ground side. Police put up cordons blocking entry to the path as well as the other side near Brown's restaurant, telling the public to stay away from the scene. At one point there were two ambulances, police cars and vans and the boats at the scene. The police cordon was lifted at about 5pm as the emergency vehicles left exiting onto New Road. Thank you, Hugh. Now we'll have a selection of this week's news items. A call for fireworks ban. Animal loving readers have called for a fireworks ban except for special occasions. The reaction comes after our story yesterday in which UK dog owners called for tighter legislation on firework licensing. 
One Worcester News Facebook user, Mandy Burbeck, described in vivid terms her own dog's reactions to fireworks, writing, My three dogs are terrified, especially my oldest. My old dog gets so bad he can barely breathe, panting, shaking, crying and trying to climb the wall. I have to put him and the other two in covered crates and turn up the TV. I truly think it is time for organised displays only. Other users made the point that not just dogs suffer during fireworks season and that other animals can be harmed too. Claire Wilkes, another reader, said, As a pony owner, fireworks can be a real problem. If they were kept to set date, then we would know when we need to be home to stand with the ponies and try to keep them calm. However, people can vary what days they set fireworks off and we may not be home to run down the paddock to calm the scared ponies who could cause injury to themselves or even try jump the fences to escape away from the fireworks. Some commentators, however, said that this was going too far. One, Martin James, said, Here we go again. This happens every year and unfortunately will never stop. People have fireworks at weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, even funerals. Mm. You're going to take that away from people? Not a chance. Classic FM are having a concert of classical calming music, especially for animals, oh, on good. the 5th. Oh, yeah, I, I oh wow. That's, that's really great. It is, it's a good idea. Yeah. Now, I've got some horrible news of the huge rise of the number of coffee outlets. <laughs> There's been a huge growth in the number of coffee shops and cafes in Worcester. The number of businesses has risen from 25 in 2010 to 45 this year, according to the latest Office for the National Statistics data. Among the new premises are two branches of global chain Starbucks, one which opened in Fourgate Street in November 2015 and another in Cathedral Square in the summer of 2017. The ONS figures for unlicensed restaurants include both coffee shops and fast food outlets. And it is these two types of businesses that are driving the sector boom across the country market Market analysts say, but more businesses on high streets also means more competitors. The investment bank Citibank said in a report released last year that the number of coffee shops cannot keep growing at the same high pace and forecast that the boom in the sector will not last beyond 2022. People in the UK drink 95 million cups of coffee each day, up from 70 million 10 years ago, according to the study by the Centre for Economics and Business Research. One in ten are sold in coffee shops, and more than half of those are served by Costa, Starbucks and Café Nero. Mike Cherry, the Federation of Small Businesses National Chairman, said crucially it isn't just chain stores who are seeing their fortunes rise, but independents are also thriving in this food and drink boom. Not only does this help small firms, but also gives shoppers a greater wealth of choices and promotes good, healthy competition. The caveat for this success is that all smaller firms, with their selling coffee, clothes or carpets, are constantly threatened by ever-rising business rates. 
A spokesman from the project Cafe UK, a network of coffee professionals who analyse the industry, warned that despite the coffee shops doing well, that Brexit could hamper the growth. He said, deep concerns over key Brexit issues, such as trade jobs, remain. And it's a pity they don't sell healthy food. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> mm. now, a very sad article. Mm -hmm. Mum found son, five, face down in pool. Mm. A mum has described how she found her five-year-old son floating face down in swimming pool while on holiday in Portugal. Archie Skidmore had taken off his life jacket before drowning in the villa's private pool on the first day of a week-long family ho holiday, an inquest heard. After an ambulance had been called, mum, Rachel Skidmore, a trained first aider, gave her son CPR, all just hours after arriving at the property near Silves in, in the Algarve. Rachel said she and her husband Stephen were sitting out on an upstairs terrace overlooking the pool when he had a sixth sense and looked over the balcony and that's when we saw Archie. Little Archie, who was a triplet, and his brothers George and William were desperate to get in the pool as soon as they arrived on July the 28th, his mum told Worcestershire Coroner's Court. With Stephen and his mum, Ursula Skidmore, having gone to a local supermarket and Rachel unpacking, the boys were initially playing in the pool under the supervision of Grandad Martin Skidmore. Rachel said the boys were not able to swim properly, but had been having regular swimming lessons. She explained how she'd bought them all life jacket style buoyancy devices and reiterated the importance of wearing them near the pool. We made sure that they were wearing them and made them aware they were not to go in the pool without them and not around the pool without an adult, she told the court on Wednesday. I repeated that and so did Martin for over half an hour or an hour. I took inflatable rings and blew those up and so they had quite a few buoyancy devices at the time. It was later on, with Stephen and Ursula having returned from the shops and the boys playing indoors, that their parents went out onto the balcony. Archie was floating face down in the water without his life jacket on, Rachel said. Andrew Cox, assistant coroner, said he was satisfied the cause of death was drowning and that it was an accident. Archie was swimming in a pool and at some point he removed the flotation device and got into the pool unsupervised. Martin, also present at the inquest, said he had reservations about the life jackets. He said, they are not life jackets but flotation devices. They zip up at the front but children could unzip them. He said the zips should be on the back and that Archie's two brothers wore them back to front for the rest of the week. It's something that needs to be brought to attention, added Martin. Mm. Mr Cox said he did not have a post-mortem result as various papers were still being transferred and translated from the Portuguese authorities. Rachel said, it's very important I see the findings of the autopsy purely because I would like to know if he had a bump to his head, if he was conscious or unconscious before he went in the water. Those are questions I need answering personally. The family from Bell Broughton, previously featured in Worcester News on July the 2013, after the triplets were born at Worcestershire Royal Hospital that March. 
The hospital usually sees one set of triplets every 18 months, but Archie and his brothers were one set of six triplets born that year, leaving doctors and midwives baffled. A restaurant which claims to have been the victim of an attempted blackmail threat is not allowing it to affect business. Grill and Flames on Fourgate Street in Worcester was in the news this week when the manager claimed a removal man was hired and blackmailed the restaurant to the tune of £1,000 while posting a video that went viral. Jim Jaynes posted the video on Facebook in an attempt to show the restaurant was unhygienic. In response to this, the restaurant replicated the same footage and explained to viewers the reason they had hired Mr. Jaynes was to remove all unused equipment in the cellar as it is currently in the process of refurbishment. Limon Rahman, owner of the restaurant, said, The author of the video was hired to remove scrap stored in the cellar area as part of the refurbishment plan. Unfortunately, his motive was to blackmail us by purporting to show the restaurant in a negative manner. We are not sure whether to proceed with the police complaint due to potential retaliation against the restaurant. We cannot trust what these people may do. The most important thing for us is to keep doing what we are doing and not to let this affect business. In real terms, the day after the event was much quieter than usual. However, since the video has been shown to be false, there has been a surge of support and bookings for the weekend. We have received a huge amount of support from our diners who recognise the hard work we all put in. Speaking about trade after the blackmail claim, Pramud Tirangari chief chef manager said we are happy with the positive comments we have received from the community we have done our bit only time will tell if any damage has been done or not the story received many reactions from worcester news readers mother b said disgusting attempt to extort money by blackmail well done to the quick actions of the general manager to shut this kind of thing down. We cannot give in to this kind of thing. Gemma said, well done for not giving in to a bully and a blackmailer. Jim Jaynes, assuming that is even his real name, should be arrested and charged with attempted blackmail. What a low life. Sealed in the cellar would be a good fate. <laughs> Police have removed around £2,000 worth of alcohol from the shelves of a city off-licence. The Police Licensing Department told the shop in Lowesmore, Worcester to stop selling the high-strength booze on Thursday. This is Saturday's paper. Officers uploaded a picture to Twitter showing bottles of Polish vodka called Soplica being sold by the business in violation of its alcohol licence. Sergeant Paul Smith, based at Worcester Police Station, said it was removed due to the strength. It was too strong for the store to be selling. 
We've been looking at who's selling what and who's been abiding by their conditions and who hasn't. When people get drunk, they can end up causing disorder. We are looking to make Worcester a place where people can come and enjoy themselves safely. We are looking at reducing antisocial behaviour and taking a wider view that licensed premises have a responsibility to abide by their conditions to reduce the demand on us and the ambulance service. Sergeant Smith added that licensed conditions impose a range of restrictions on shops, limiting the number of cans and the strength of the alcohol they can sell. The Lowesmore business, which police refused to name, was told to remove the alcohol from its shelves, although it was not seized by police. City councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, said... Local residents will be pleased that the police have taken action to start to address some of the long-standing problems in Lowesmore. This should be a warning to any businesses which try to ignore licensing rules. West Mercia Police is investigating the incident, although it is not currently taking any further action against the store. Right, now my next headline is the Will, Will the City Store Face the Threat of Closure? And that is uh, their fears for the future of Debenhams in Worcester after the owners unveiled plans to axe up to 50 high street shops, putting around 4,000 jobs at risk. It is unclear whether the Crowngate Shopping Centre department store is affected or the other county branches in Kidderminster or Redditch, as the chain has not yet released a list of affected stores. A source has told the Worcester News that staff at the Worcester City Centre store are concerned as in the past year three managers have allegedly left or been made redundant. The source added staff were not being taken on with it now being run with skeleton staff. Worcester News attempted to contact the store but was referred to the head office's statement. The group has said that the closures will take place over a three to five year period and the announcement comes alongside a dire threat of financial figures. Sorry, a dire set of financial figures. Debenhams swung to a 491.5 million loss in the year to September the 1st, the biggest in its history. The loss compares with a £59 million profit in 2017. <coughs> Boss Sergio Boucher said it has been a tough year for retail in 2018 and our performance reflects that. We're taking decisive steps to strengthen Debenhams in a market that remains volatile and challenging. We're taking tough decisions on stores where financial performance is likely to deteriorate over time. The store closures will reduce the Debenhams estate to about 100 and comes on top of 10 earmarked earlier this year. Mr Boucher added, Debenhams remains a strong and trusted brand with 19 million customers shopping with us over the past year. I can promise my 26,000 staff across the UK that we will work very hard to protect as many stores and as many jobs as we can. 
To compound matters, Debenham is also the subject of takeover talk, with speculation mill building that sports direct Mike Ashley is set to merge it with his newly acquired House of Fraser. <coughs> now, service held at Park. A poignant ceremony was held to mark the 104th anniversary of the Battle of Gellervelt yesterday. The Battle of Gellervelt played a pivotal role in the early months of World War I, preventing the Germans gaining access to the crucial Channel ports. Yesterday, veterans gathered in Gellervelt Park at the War Memorial for a service to mark 104 years to the day the battle happened. Wreaths were laid before a silence last post when the size standards were lowered. At 2pm on October the 31st, 1914, 357 men from the Worcestershire Regiment began a bayonet charge towards Gellervelt Chateau, facing almost certain death before bringing about a remarkable victory. Wednesday's service followed a large event on Sunday when the Worcestershire troops were remembered at a service attended by dignitaries including Worcester MP Robin Walker and Mayor Jabba Riaz. In a speech at the Parks War Memorial, the Mayor said these men were the British expeditionary forces, last hope and throw of the dice, facing certain doom and impending death. It's testimony that Worcester has never forgotten that sacrifice and we'll never forget that we honour our men and women every year and remember them how we ought to. On the same day, a British artillery gun using shrapnel rounds left over from the Boer War unexpectedly blew up a German equivalent which was using high explosives. A team of intrepid cyclists teamed up to raise more than £7,000 for the Mags Homeless Day Centre in Worcester by riding from Land's End to, to John O'Groats. Chris Hale joined forces with his three sons and friend Bob McNaughton for the gruelling trip from the southern tip of Cornwall to the northernmost point in Scotland. The team braved the weather and the roads as they rode the 952 miles in just nine days, averaging 106 miles a day. Battling heavy winds and less than brilliant roads, the team all made it safe to John O'Groats, although they had to deal with several punctures along the way. Mr Hale said, Physically, we all stood up surprisingly well. The body adapts quite quickly to riding over 100 miles a day. The toughest part of the route was undoubtedly the climb up to Shap Fell on the edge of the Lake District in the face of a 25 mile an hour wind. The Cornwall stage was tough too because it was longest, involving the most climbing and the state of the road surfaces was dire. Mel Kirk, chief executive of the MAG Centre said, what an epic journey to travel so far in such a short amount of time. The Hale family are amazing. The money raised will be used to enabling us to continue to run our day centre. This is the core of our services and provides a drop-in five days a week to the homeless and vulnerable of Worcester. 
The MAG's Homeless Day Centre provides food, washing facilities, a health hub and support to those in need, including advice, medical help or a hot meal. Right, the next article is a topical one. Flu jabs save lives. Get yours now. Flu is an unpredictable virus that can cause very unpleasant illness in most normally healthy people. But for more vulnerable groups such as older people, pregnant women and people with an underlying health condition, it can cause severe illness and even death. Certain people are more likely to develop potentially serious complications of flu, such as bronchitis and pneumonia. These people are advised to have a flu vaccine each year. We're encouraging all our hospital staff to get the jab to protect themselves, but the vaccine is also offered free of charge to people who are at risk to help protect them against catching flu and developing serious complications. You should have the flu vaccine if you are 65 years of age or over, are pregnant, have a serious long-term health condition such as COPD, heart failure, diabetes, chronic neurological conditions, amongst others, are living in a long-stay residential care home or other long-stay care facility, receive a carer's allowance, or you are the main carer for an elderly or disabled person whose welfare may be at risk if you fall ill. If you're pregnant, you're strongly advised to have the flu vaccine regardless of the stage of pregnancy you've reached. That's because there's strong evidence that suggests that pregnant women have an increased risk of developing complications if they get flu. It's really easy to get the jab. Just ask your GP, pharmacist or pop into the antenatal clinic at Worcestershire Royal Hospital with your handheld maternity notes and you can get the jab there and then. There's no need to worry about the jab. It's impossible to get flu from the having of it because the vaccine doesn't contain live viruses. The vaccine is given to millions of people in the UK each year with the vaccines thoroughly tested and safety checked. Mm -hmm. If you have any questions about the flu vaccine, you can always talk to your GP or local pharmacist or look on the NHS UK website for more information. A mum who was bullied at school is proud to win a beauty pageant that empowers women. Danielle Green, 29, was crowned Miss Mystic on Sunday. Mrs Green, who grew up in Malvern and now lives in Evesham, said, It's about being yourself. You can be a plus size, skinny, you can be a mum. It's something I'm really passionate about. Mrs Green said, I was bullied for how I looked throughout school as I suffered with terrible acne. I want to show how far I have come and inspire others to overcome similar obstacles. Mrs Green is also currently working on material to start running her own self-confidence workshops. Jasmine Pratt from Warnden Villages, Worcester, began the Miss Mystic pageant last year with an aim to hold a more inclusive event. Lots of pageants have rules where you have to look a certain way, and if you're a mum, you can't enter. 
Competition small print for those entering the Miss England pageant says mothers and married women cannot enter on the grounds that the winner will have too many commitments. Mrs Green said, being almost 30 as well, it's quite a big achievement. Mrs Green, mum of two-and-a-half-year-old Florence, entered the competition last year and was runner-up. I decided to come back this year and win it, she said. I was the only contestant to re-enter, so it was all new faces, which was nice. Mrs Green works for a local estate agent in Evesham, and in her spare time she's training to be a makeup artist. She also won the title of Miss Charity for raising the most money for charity out of all the contestants. She raised £520 for Samaritans. The applications for entering the Miss Mystic pageant for 2019 are open. Miss Green will be on the judges panel for next year's pageant. It's all about empowering women and accepting yourself. I would encourage anyone to enter because it is such a huge confidence booster, said Mrs Green. A charity is urgently appealing to city businesses to lend warehouse space so it can pack nearly 5,000 Christmas shoebox gifts for deprived children. Operation Christmas Child needs the extra space during November so its volunteers can check, collect and store boxes which will then be dispatched to Eastern Europe, former Soviet Union countries and Africa. So far, all our attempts to find premises have failed and time is running out, said Worcester organiser Sue Tyndall. It would be a shame after packing the shoeboxes in the city for 17 years that we had instead to send them to Wolverhampton to be checked and put on the lorries there. Also, we have around 40 volunteers, mm. and I'm not sure they would be prepared to travel regularly all the way to Wolverhampton to help out. She added, Ideally, we would like a building within the city of around 5,000 square feet, with heating, lighting, car park facilities mm. and access for 40-tonne lorries. Mm. There would also need to be adequate toilet facilities, a rest area, and conform to all health and safety requirements. Mm. Last year... Philip Ralph, owner of the Guinness Park Farm Business Park at Bransford, near Worcester, offered the group a unit he had free, though she's booked up next month. Mrs Tyndall said, All of our warehouse agreements are temporary. We only use them for a few weeks just to check, seal and carton the boxes ready to transport overseas. Email sue.tyndall at hotmail.co.uk if you have warehouse space. Remembrance Sunday will be particularly poignant this year as the centenary commemoration for the First World War draws to a close. A large number of events have been planned in Worcester to mark the official end of the commemorations. Mayor (coughs) Jabarias said this month will give people in Worcester a number of opportunities to remember all those who gave their lives 100 years ago so we could have the peace and the freedom we enjoy today. The importance of reflecting and learning from these events cannot be overemphasised. By learning from the mistakes of the past, we will be in a much stronger position to create a better world for tomorrow. From Tuesday, October the 30th, the police, whoops, people's collection of letters, 
photographs and objects from across the county will go on show at the Hive. The Hive is also the location of a day of remembrance and commemoration on Friday, November the 9th, and a day of drop-in armistice activities on Saturday, November the 10th. On Armistice Day itself, Sunday, November the 1st, there will be a day of remembrance at Worcester Cathedral and Cathedral Square. The day starts at 6am with a lone piper playing at the Cenotaph. At 10am is the Remembrance Sunday service, following follow the whoops by the wreath-laying service at the War Memorial. The two-minute silence at 11am will be followed at 11am by a poppy drop opposite the Cenotaph and then the procession to the Guildhall where the Lord Lieutenant and the Mayor will take the salute. The same day we'll see Armistice activities at Worcester City Art Gallery and Museum, Forgate Street from 11am to 4pm. Dance Fest will perform Quiet Revolution, a piece of dance theatre that highlights how the First World War fundamentally changed the roles of women at 2.30pm at the Guildhall and at 6pm at Fort Hall Park. As the day concludes with beacons of light starting at 6pm in Fort Royal Park with the lighting of the beacon, one of more than a thousand across the UK at 7pm, with churches across Worcestershire ringing their bells for peace at 7.05pm. Thank you, Paddy. Mm-hmm. Now for some sports articles. Mm-hmm. Mine is about Worcester mm-hmm. Warriors. Mm-hmm. Warriors Chief could dip into the transfer market. Worcester Warriors could dip into the transfer market for a fly half in the wake of John O'Lance's injury blow. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons said he would hold talks with the Warriors' new owners as he looks at the possibility of filling the void left by Lance. Australian playmaker Lance faces up to four months on the sidelines after being diagnosed with a partial stress fracture to his back. With Lance in, injured, Jamie Shilcock is set to be Duncan Weir's main competition for the number 10 shirt, while utility back Scott Van Breda and centre Ryan Mills could cover that position. But Solomons did not rule out adding another standoff to the mix. We've got to consider our position before we make a decision, Solomons said. We've got to look at it and see what is going to be best. Obviously, we've got to speak with the owner and see what's available. A consortium comprising Errol Pope, who is the primary funder, Jed McCrory, Scott Priestnall and David Seymour completed a takeover of Warriors at the beginning of this month. We are in contact about everything, to be honest, said Solomons. The channels of communication are good, so there is absolutely no problem there. After a successful spell at Warriors last season, Lance returned to Six Ways in the summer. The 28-year-old made five appearances this term before picking up the injury in the lead-up to Worcester's clash with Ospreys earlier this month. When Jono was a, a, a youngster, he picked up the injury playing cricket, Solomon said, but he will recover and play this season, there's no question. 
Initially, he's got to rest for a period until it heals, and then he's got to have rehab at, at once it is cleared. They will scan it probably after about six weeks and see how it's doing. Solomon's added, he's out for 16 weeks, but we'll get a clearer indication after six to eight weeks as to whether he'll be out for the full period or not. With these things, you never know exactly, but at the moment the matter is under consideration, we'll make a decision in due course. Worcester have been boosted by the form of Shilcock, who has scored two tries in three fixtures since returning from having knee surgery. The 21-year-old starred at mm. fullback in Warriors' 35-3 victory over Sale Sharks in the Premiership Cup competition last Friday, but was the club's first-choice fly-half for much of the 2017-18 campaign. Van Breeder, who has the ability to play in a number of positions, has also come back from injury in recent weeks. Scott has played at fly-half at provincial level in South Africa, though his position as a youngster was full-back, Solomon said. We know Shilly is a really promising young 10, and we have still got Duncey there as well, so we have got to have a look at it carefully and make a good decision. Steve McGuffin is back at Blackfinch New Road as lead coach and manager of the Worcestershire Women's Rapids Pathway mm -hmm. Programme. Mm -hmm. McGuffin hung up his spikes last month after a distinguished career which brought him 597 first-class wickets mm -hmm. and ended in a second spell with the county. Now he will oversee women's cricket from under-11s through to rapids with the aim of creating a pathway as successful as the one carved out for the male set up by the late Damien Dolivera and now Elliot Wilson. It is the first steps for McGoffin towards his ambition of becoming a successful coach and a challenge he is relishing. Worcestershire Cricket Board mm. Cricket Development Director Tom Hill said, The women's and girls' game has come on tremendously in recent years and we enter a really exciting period. Mm. No doubt Steve's expertise will really help professionalise our setup. Steve will be responsible for monitoring the talented girls in the programme, managing the coaches that are deployed onto it and really setting the direction for that program. He will work closely with Elliot and Worcestershire Academy as we try to streamline things and basically give every player, boy or girl, the same opportunities to excel in the game of cricket. Steve is really keen and will bring a wealth of expertise which will really help. He will mentor our younger coaches and kind of set the expectations for all our players. He's got a lot to give, a lot to offer, and I'm really excited mm. that he has taken this opportunity. Mm. It will be really good for him, good for the pathway and the girls and women who are part of it. They will all benefit tremendously from his input and direction. It shows a statement of intent from us. We are serious about this. We want to be one of the best pathway programs in the country and Steve will help us achieve that. McGoffin said, this is a fantastic opportunity for me. 
I will also be the assistant coach to Gareth Davis of the women's Rapids team. The main part of my role is to oversee the whole programme from the youngest age to the seniors who can have a really good progression of girls coming through over the next few years to play mm. for the senior team. There's a lot of hands-on coaching I'm going to be able to do while the programme really kicks into gear in January. But it will also give me lots of other skills behind the scenes that this type of role entails. Getting the programme set up, meeting all the coaches, finding out what they want and how they see their age groups moving forward. Mm. I will bring a bit of my experience mm. from the men's professional game across to help with mm. the programme going forward. Women's cricket is taking off in this country I can imagine it is only going in one direction and on the back of winning the World Cup there is no bigger time in women's cricket. It's something Worcestershire are trying to put a stamp on. Moving forward, they really want to try to professionalise the women's setup and to mirror the men's programme and the boys' pathway. Elliot runs a very successful academy pathway program mm. with the boys, men, and we are trying to replicate that with the girls' pathway. Okay, um, story about hockey. Worcester Women's First Eleven secured a good away win, but the men's teams are still struggling. The women warmed up a chilly day with a convincing 3-0 win at mid-table mm. rivals Harbon, seconds in Midlands feeder west. After the previous week's loss, it was all the more important they pulled together and continued to play the standard of hockey they're capable of. Player of the match, Vicky Howell, was testament to this, scoring two of the goals with the other coming from Hope Dixon. There were multiple instances of players sliding on the slippery pitch, but Worcester reacted and adapted well to the conditions. They focused on successive passing and long-range balls rather than risk losing control by holding on for too long. Worcester Seconds lost their first match of the season in the Worcestershire League Division 1 top-of-the-table clash at Bromsgrove Seconds, going down by the only goal. The thirds missed a penalty flick in losing 3-0 to Droitwich Spa in Division 2, and the fourth slipped down a place in Division 3 when losing 2-0 to Wire Forest. Worcester men's section are looking for more players, which to some extent helps to explain the league struggle last weekend. The first 11 lost 5-0 at Beeston seconds in T1 Midlands 1 and the seconds went down 4-0 at Alton and West Warwick thirds in the T2 West Midlands Premier. Worcester thirds lost 8-1 to Old Halzonians seconds in the T3 South West Premier with a consolation goal from Phil Griffiths. There were closer matches for the fourths and fifths. The 4th 11 lost 4-2 to Harbin 4ths in South West 2, with Stuart McKellar and Ollie Betridge scoring. Worcester had the chances to win, but could not take them. A depleted 5th 11 put in a fine effort, but lost 4-1 at a strong Edgebaston 4th side. Adam Holden reacted quickest to a penalty corner save from the home goalkeeper to flick the ball into the top of the net for the only Worcester goal. The 6th and 7th 11s suffered most, though, not through lack of effort or team spirit. 
Worcester Sixths lost 12-0 to second place Bridge North Fourths in Division 3 and the Sevenths crashed 11-0 to Stratford Fourths who were third. But the City's under-10s team played in a tournament in Cheltenham and went undefeated for the whole day by winning three and drawing two games. Worcester have seven men's, four women's and two junior teams playing on Saturdays along with the midweek veterans and junior side. For more details, visit worcesterhockey.co.uk. This piece is headed (coughs) Wolves Waiting to Make Forward Call. Worcester Wolves will make a late call on the fitness of Philip Kramer ahead of tomorrow's British Basketball League basement battle with Glasgow Rocks at the Emirates Arena at 5pm. A knee issue forced the Austrian and international to sit out Wolves' 92-86 defeat to Manchester Giants at the University of Worcester Arena and the 99 86 loss at Surrey Scorchers last weekend. Head coach Ty Shaw said the important power forward had trained a little bit this week, but he has yet to decide whether he was fit enough to line up against the Rocks. Philip picked up the injury in the All-Star Championship, Shaw said. We thought he had come through it with a clean bill of health, but it's the bumps and bruises that happen after, and Philip has got a small issue with his knee. The question we always ask a basketball players: are you hurt or injured? Everyone is hurting a little bit, because when you get into the season, something is always sore, but being injured is a different thing. We will see how Philip goes today and we will make that decision on game day. To have any of our big guys available is going to be extremely important for us, but we've had some unfortunate injuries there. Philip is definitely an important player for us. American forward Deshaun Freeman has yet to arrive in Worcester after the club announced his signing two weeks ago, but Shaw was delighted to see fit again Terrell Martin Garcia make his comeback from injury as he featured against the Giants and Scorchers. As a team, we would love to have come out of that weekend with two wins, Shaw said, but from the standpoint of getting every one healthy, I think Terrell had a pretty good weekend. It's going to be a slow comeback, so he's going to have limited minutes at times, but what he did for us was pretty good. Wolves are on a run of five straight defeats and level on points with bottom club Glasgow, who have lost six of their first seven games. A loss to Rocks will see Worcester slump to the foot of the table, but Shaw insisted building continuity within the team was a big focus for him. It's going to be a tough game, Shaw said. It's a long road trip, and I don't think anyone envies. For us, it's a chance to use that time on the bus to do some bonding and come together as a team. I wouldn't call this a desperate situation. I think the most important thing for us is getting guys healthy and continuing continuing to gel as a team. We don't have an ideal pre-season season, and we have had some guys hurt, so it's about building continuity, 
focusing on the small details and trying to get the five guys on the floor and the side pushing in one direction. Thank you, Paddy. Now, on this day, events and anniversaries for the 1st of November in years gone by, some historical interest. So on November the 1st, 1512, Michelangelo unveiled his painting of the ceiling of the Vatican Sistine Chapel. Mm. November the 1st, 1755, an earthquake reduced 85% of Lisbon to rubble, killing up to 100,000 people. 1848, W.H. Smith opened its first railway bookstall at Euston Station, London, the start of multiple retailing in Britain. 1st of November 1922, the first radio licences went on sale in Britain at a cost of 10 shillings, <laughs> 50 pence nowadays. 1956, computer Ernie was born as premium bonds first went on sale in Britain. And in 1993, the Maastricht Treaty took effect, the precursor to the European Union. And because it's of some interest, as the Prince of Wales has a significant birthday coming up, on this day last year, the Prince of Wales revealed that when it comes to domestic chores, he has the skill to handle a vacuum cleaner and he is not afraid to use them. That's impressive. It is. Quietly impressed about that. Right, next we have death and funeral announcements. Joan Anne B.B. Joan passed away peacefully on October the 17th, 2018, aged 73 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 7th at 3.15pm. Terry Mitchell, formerly of Raleigh Close, Dines Green, passed away peacefully at Latimer Court Care Home on October the 23rd, 2018, aged 74 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 8th at 4pm. Donald Don Thomas Smith of Grimley passed away peacefully in the care of Quinton House Nursing Home on October the 21st, 2018, aged 88 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, November the 7th at mm -hmm. 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. Rosanna Blakely passed away peacefully at Regent House on October the 9th, aged 101. Mm -hmm. Service at Worcester Crematorium mm -hmm. on November the 9th at 3.15 p.m. Ted Collins passed away peacefully at Northwick Grange Residential mm -hmm. Home on October the 14th, aged 86, um, and his funeral has taken place. Uh, Guy, sorry, Francis Guy uh, of Lower Broad Heath passed away peacefully at home with all his family on mm -hmm. Sunday, October the 14th, aged 73. His funeral service will take place at Christchurch, Lower Broad Heath, mm -hmm. on Wednesday, November the 7th, at 11.45am, 
followed by a private cremation. Regiland Noak passed away peacefully at Alexandra Hospital, Redditch, on Thursday, September the 27th, uh, aged 84 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 5th at 3.15pm. Rita Palmer passed away peacefully on October the 10th, aged 67, loved by all who knew her, and her funeral has taken place. Elizabeth Ann, known as Betty Rowley, knee Brewer, passed away peacefully on October the 6th, age 81. Service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, November the 9th at 11.30am. Marie Elizabeth Treacy passed away peacefully with her family by her side on October the 4th, uh, aged 86. And her funeral has already taken place. Robert, known as Bob Williams of Eckington, passed away peacefully on October the 22nd, aged 84 years. Beloved husband of the late Grace, who passed away on October the 12th, 2018. And his funeral has already taken place. Linda Mary Fido passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on October the 13th, aged 68 years. The funeral service will take place at St Michael's Church, Little Whitley, on Friday, November the 16th at 10.30, followed by interment in the churchyard. Professor Graham Harding of Upton Snodsbury passed away peacefully on October the 20th, aged 81 years. It's a private interment but a memorial service will take place at Upton Snodsbury Church on Wednesday, November the 14th at 2pm. Ivy Lee passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on October the 24th, aged 88 years. A Thanksgiving service will take place at St Mary's Church, Kemsey on Thursday, November the 8th at 1pm. If possible, please wear dark clothing. Winifred Alice Maud Obrey sadly passed away at Shaw Red Hill Nursing Home on October the 14th, aged mm -hmm. 98. A service to celebrate her life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 8th at 3.15. Beryl Williams, née Rammel, passed away peacefully on October the 14th, aged 88 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium mm -hmm. on Monday, November the 12th at 2.30. Anne Mears passed away peacefully on October the 22nd, 2018, aged 74 years. The funeral service will be on Tuesday, November the 6th at 12.15pm. And Jenny Partridge, nay Potter, passed peacefully away on October the 21st, aged 72 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, November the 15th at 12.15pm and please don't wear black. Jan Gather <coughs> passed peacefully on Thursday, October the 18th at Stanfield Nursing Home, Rushwick. The funeral has taken place and that is it. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Paddy. Mm. 
We have two birthdays mm -hmm. to celebrate mm -hmm. in the coming week. On the 2nd of November, Janet Surtees, and on the 3rd of November, Brian Ferris. And a happy birthday to both of you when your special day comes. Now, Hugh will read the thought for the week. This thought comes from Matthew 8, verses 2 and 3. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Thank you, Hugh. Now, as promised, some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300... One two double three two double one. NHS non emergency one one one. Malvern Theatre zero one six eight four eight nine double two double seven. Worcester Live for Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and the Henry Sandon Hall zero one nine zero five. Six double one four two seven Worcester Hub for Council Matters either Worcester zero one nine zero five seven six five seven six five or seven triple two double three Crime Stoppers zero eight zero zero triple five triple one and Samaritans 116123, which is a free phone number. <laughs> a letter here from Martin Young of Worcester. Sir, what planet is Councillor Amos from? Uh, he wrote a, a letter about a cycling ban welcomed on October the 17th. Doesn't he know we're trying to improve the environment by encouraging cycling, together with improving the nation's health and reducing obesity? We've had millions of pounds spent on the cycle bridge and route along the River Severn and are soon to build another bridge. Branding us as wretched cyclists who are dangerous and selfish and idiots is not the way to improve relationships. I do see some astonishing behaviour by some cyclists and, and they should indeed be reprimanded and there are existing sanctions to cover dangerous acts. But this blanket ban will antagonise many law-abiding folk. I'd like to get this bigot out on a bike. Perhaps he could get an expenses-paid trip to Holland to see what should be done about cycling so that pedestrians and cyclists can live in harmony. If he looks back at the original scheme for the pedestrianisation of Worcester, he'll see how the surfacing was designed to segregate users. Rather than excluding cyclists, they should be encouraged. Perhaps a green painted line setting out a cycle route through Worcester would do more good than a ban. I suffer from lumbar spinal stenosis and I can't walk far, but...
but I can cycle and don't want to use a wheelchair yet. Get on your bike. Okay. Mm -hmm. My letter's from James Goad of Worcester. (laughs) Sir, Paul Richard's Best for Britain perspective on the recent People's Vote March makes interesting Mm -hmm. reading. A very big turnout for sure, but far from the 700,000 claimed. It's certainly well short of the 17.4 million who voted leave in the referendum. Mr Richards makes an outrageous assertion that public opinion has decisively shifted against this Brexit shambles. Presumably, he plucked this canard from Eurofile publications or Remain-funded polling. Doubtless, it's his job to make such statements. The organisation he represents has been funded by arch-political manipulator George Soros to the tune of £500,000. Its leaders represent London's worst corporatist special interests. Perhaps this is a good time to remind Mr Richards and his organisations that we had the people's vote in 2016. If the result of this is ignored, why would anyone have any faith in the result of a second referendum or a third or any future national elections of any sort? Permit me to point out the obvious. The real aim of Best for Britain is to thwart Brexit. None of their arguments are motivated by the sentiment implied in a people's vote. They hate the fact that we had such a vote in 2016. They are not fans of direct democracy at all. It gives them the wrong results. My one area of agreement with Mr Richards lies in his lambasting the government's strategy for Brexit, which is utterly dismal from nearly every perspective. This is a a thought by Tony Woodward, who's a regular cyclist in Worcester. Some balance is needed here, he says, Sir... I read with sadness the reported comments of Councillor Amos. Within any population, there will always be a small number who do not follow accepted social norms. There are some Worcester motorists, both young and old, who should not be allowed behind a steering wheel. There are still some dog owners who still do not take away their animals' faecal matter. However... That does not mean that all drivers and all dog owners are dangerous and selfish or that they're all wretched people. Cyclists and pedestrians can and do safely mix. Worcester's delightful share-with-care riverside paths demonstrates this every day of the week. We are in an age when all forms of prejudice, whether perceived or actual, should be questioned. The balance of thought-out consideration of a problem will always produce the best outcome. Mm. Right, Mm. and this letter Mm. is from today's Worcester News following this week's budget, and it's from Jane Ashcroft, Mm. Chief Executive of Anchor, not-for-profit provider of care and housing for older people. Social care, help needed. Sir... We welcome the pledge of £650 million further funding for social care announced in the budget, following the recent pledge of £240 million emergency funding for the sector. The number of people ill-prepared for later life is worryingly high. Anchor's research shows just 14% of people are currently saving for care needs, 
and 22% mistakenly think that all care is state-funded. With the bill for care set to rise by 159% by 2040 to a staggering £18.7 billion, the funding is a much-needed step in the right direction. The announcements are welcome, but the government needs to ensure that sustainable and long-term funding is found for the social care sector. The system can't continue to fail the people it is meant to serve. Autumn's long-awaited green paper is a chance for the government to turn this crisis around once and for all, giving today's and tomorrow's older people the respect and peace of mind they deserve. We also welcome the additional funding for social housing, but it's crucial this includes funding for retirement housing, which provides thriving communities for older people, reduces the demands on the NHS due to a decrease in falls and frees up larger homes for people further down the property ladder. This is a Westminster View uh, written by Chris Moncrief. It's good news to hear that an influential voice in the police force has poured ice-cold water on those who would like to see wolf-whistling and other flirtatious activities become hate crimes. Sergeant Richard Cook, the recently elected chairman of the West Midlands Police Federation, has indicated that the police have more than enough to do in dealing with serious crimes without having to waste time money and manpower on the whims of the politically correct fraternity. Good for him. And why should Parliament equally waste time on introducing measures to outlaw these, in my opinion, harmless activities? Political correctness correctness has now taken such a hold that even Snow White and Cinderella have fallen victims. Madness, if you ask me. The best comment about wolf whistling I have heard was in a letter written to a national newspaper by Ray Shaw of Thrumpton, Nottinghamshire. It read, The last time I was wolf whistled, a couple of years ago, was when I was climbing out of a swimming pool. I was elated, flattered, <laughs> thrilled, until I discovered it was a parrot. <laughs> I've got a little solution here from Arthur Haywood with regards to the plans how Worcester should develop in the future. Worcester's been crying out for another road bridge in the centre since the 50s. An aptly named Tybridge Street would be the ideal place. This would open up no end of opportunities. What a good idea. And one last short one. China on par with Saudi. Sir, I was disgusted to learn on the news that China is persecuting its Muslim citizens. Many have lost family and fled to Kazakhstan. Many have suffered internment in camps. I can hardly believe that in the 21st century, people can be so shamefully mistreated merely because they practice a religion that is not communism. This puts the regime on a par with the Saudi. Hardly anything to be proud of. And that's from Wendy Hands of Upton upon Seven. Mm. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Paddy, Hugh, Moira, 
and Barry. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.